0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Um, it is, uh, it's been a pretty amazing weekend. I don't know about you guys, but being at uh, at um, James and Lupe's wedding yesterday was aw- absolutely incredible. Uh, it's cool that, I, I was telling Ken, I-, I watched them up there during the ceremony, and I don't know if you caught that, but they were like little kids up there, you know? I mean, Lupe was nervous. You know, James was even forgetting what Ken was saying, and to be to be uh, to have lived a, a, a full life. I mean, they they're not 18. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and for them to just be up there and and just be like little children, and it's that, and that's it's an absolute fulfillment of the word. Which is, if we're obedient to God, if we just make a goal to just please Him, we almost we're like little kids. We just have that. As part of our lives, and it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, You know, I was thinking, how do I start this, you know, Ken? I'm surprised he didn't roast me, you know. He said he was going to say a few things, but I I felt like doing a Ken joke, you know. (laughs) Like a really cheesy, just dripping with like velveta cheese, cheesy joke. And I thought about it this morning, and so, um, you know, the joke goes something like this. uh, Why do people preach on Sunday? And you say, Why? Because God rests on the seventh day. Just. Real cheesy joke. Right? Oh gosh. But on a a total different tangent. um... (laughs) Cheesy joke. It's one of those jokes that like 30 seconds later it's funny. Right? Um, Maybe 30 minutes. Let me start off on a tangent. Which is. Do you know that you're a superhero? Right? So, remember that, okay? Just for a moment, remember what I said, that you are a superhero. You are a handcrafted work of art. A super creation. And as you think of that, let's kind of meditate on this fact. We know that this is a potter. God says that he made us in his own image. He took us, and he molded us. And there's a great phrase that my daughter always says, which is, God, uh, Daddy, God's still working, right? He's still working. Because she's She's very. She's a naturalist. She just sees nature, and she's always wondering what's happening, how it's evolving, how it's changing. Uh, and she always says, God's still working, right, Dad? Because things are still moving. The world still moves. And so she has this vision that God is still working. So if you look at this, He made us in His own image. I mean, take a moment. Look at the person next to you. Not too long because you'll freak them out, right? But look at them. They're they're an image of God. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the Bible says it. John Thorne said it. It's always relevant. It's always current. that person next to you was made by God. Isaiah 64, 8 says... Yet you, O Lord, our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter. we are all the work of your hand. So no matter what happens to people, no matter the actions that they take, that we take, we're still a creation made by God, handcrafted by him. We are God's workmanship, right? We are God's workmanship. Handcrafted by him. Ephesians 2:10. And I want to share a few more facts about us as people. Look at these facts that blow you away. I'm setting a little bit of a foundation here for us. Look at these facts. Did you know that if uncoiled, the DNA would stretch from Pluto and back? Our DNA, if it was uncoiled, it would run all the way to Pluto. This is why it said that you're superheroes, our bones ounce for ounce are stronger than steel. These are all facts. There are 100,000 miles of blood vessels in our bodies. Our nose can recognize 50,000 different scents. And this is where we're way better than an iPhone camera. Look at this. The human eye can distinguish about 10 million different colors. That's just it's blow away and finally when awake the human brain produces enough power to light a small light bulb i know with some of us it's hard to believe right but that is true so no matter no matter what you think of yourself or the people in your life we are a super creation but you know regardless of all that this is what my daughter this is her perspective of dad. <laughs> right? No matter how incredible the human body is, that's how my daughter sees me. Monkey man. Some of you have probably seen this on Facebook, but we were driving, and then my daughter just says, Daddy, dad, look what I did. It's you, it's you. And I look around and I go, Oh. Monkey man, dad. All right. So that, that, and that's, you see the little monkey back there? That's her, right there, taking a, a, a piggyback ride. Um, that's my daughter, all right? Let me keep going on this concept. I'm laying the foundation here. The Bible says that when God made what he made before us, he said that this, he called it good. The mountains, the oceans, all living things. Before we came along, everything was good. And it's funny, when you see a mountain or any kind of scenery, when you add man to it, when you add a person to it, it just takes on a different element, right? It becomes, it becomes more majestic. So when, when we do this, we place, when God placed man in his creation, he called that actually very good. So it went from being just good, and then when he finished it all, it was very good. Again, foundation of who we are in God's sight. What we mean Creation. He called it very good. So, God put us here. And it's interesting that knowing that fact, He put us here. What do we spend all our time doing? We spend all our time finding ourselves. Which is kind of ironic, right? I mean, God put us here. It's almost like when you're adopted and you find out later in life. And then you have the reason and the resource to say, I need to find my birth parents. you see it in movies and people that you may know. Um, and you just, you just go out to try and find them. But for us, our birth parent is God. God created us. And yet we say, just, I'm just going to find myself. Which is kind of a complete oxymoron if you, th- if you think about that. And not only that, but we've actually gotten um, pretty good at this. And we've been doing it for quite some time. And for all of us, we think selfie is like a new thing, right? Which selfie, by the way, is a really kind of cool way of saying self-portrait, right? Uh, It's been happening for a while. So I present to you the original selfies, all right? (laughs) Bango and Frida Kahlo. All right? Those are the original selfies. So, mankind has been doing self portraits for a very long time. It's nothing new, per se, but it's just become a lot more handy. And it doesn't take a lot of skill, right? So, but we have, and that whole thing uh, about capturing our own image, I want to play a video for you right now, so I'm going to need to sound up on, on that. Um, listen to what this gentleman has to say, it's kind of interesting.
1: A photo of a couple of weeks ago. When she saw the photo on the back of her camera, she immediately was like, oh, uh, ah, I don't like it. Would you please erase it? She's like, Duncan, please. Oh my God, erase it. Kill it. And of course, I was like, why? Because look, I mean, there's nothing wrong with this image. Um, turns out, I think what was wrong was her perception of the image. So let me let me dive into this a little bit. As a, as a photographer for TED and other places, I have seen this time and time again. We've seen people see photos of themselves, say, oh, I don't like that for whatever reason, but everybody else in the room will like it. Well, I dug into this a little bit. I talked to lots of the scientists that I have access to, thankfully, and uh, started asking questions. Now, we know from perceptual science that a lot of what we actually perceive the world to be is pulled from memory, right? When you look at the TED logo, you glance at it, you know what the TED logo looks like because you've probably seen it a dozen times. Something pulls out of memory. That's what you perceive, right? Now, let's think about ourselves. How do we perceive ourselves? What is the map that we use to, to view ourselves? Well, it's like what no other camera sees. It's a mirror in your bathroom at arm's length, reversed. So that's a very personal view. You're the only person that has this view in the world, right? Whenever somebody takes a photo of you, it does not match that. In fact, I would go so far as to say you fall into the uncanny valley. So what's the Uncanny Valley? Well, this is, this is something that the Hollywood folks would know well. So if you've ever seen Toy Story, right, the character Woody, you know, he's, he's human-esque, but he's not too human, and we accept him as a character. He's funny, he's, he's great, he's Tom Hanks' voice coming out. Well, Tom Hanks lent his voice to another character, the guy in the Polar Express. Well, that character was so closely rendered to be a human that something in our brain kicks into overdrive and we look at him and discriminate him a little bit more carefully than we do Woody. And all of a sudden, he's not quite right, he's not quite human, he's not quite real. And to some people, he even looked a little dead, right? So my theory, though I'm not a scientist, I'm just a photographer, is that when we see a photograph of ourselves, it looks almost right, but not quite. And so therefore, we feel a big sense of rejection. Is the theory right or not? We'll see. Maybe somebody will test this. But what I can do right now is tell you one thing. If you see a photograph of yourself, You have that reaction, I don't quite like this, but everybody around you says it's a great photograph. Trust your friends. They know what you look like more than you do. So, um,
0: really fascinating. Uh, There is is theory out there. I I didn't quite find it. I wanted to prove it as stone-cold fact, but I couldn't. That the only person that will ever see your real likeness is a person across from you. You will never see yourself as God really made you because of things like light and distortion and mirrors not being true and cameras not capturing. So bottom line is, all that technology will never really capture you. And it's interesting how, that, how God has designed it so that the only people that know you are the people in your life. Because, like we know, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So for us to really know ourselves, we have too much of a love-hate relationship with ourselves for us to really appreciate who we are. So it's an interesting fact that our true self, our selfie, is not captured by an iPhone or an Android, if that's your choice, right? Um, I know, Matt Pack, you know, I know you're a big Android guy. Uh, So, um, but that's never going to capture your true essence, it's really God who designed you and the people God put in your life, which is really, really interesting, counter to what society is showing us, right? What's trending is you on Instagram, you on Facebook, you on Twitter, and all that tends to tell us, and, we be- and the world wants us to believe that that's who we are, our feed, our posts, our-, our uploads, whatever, but that's not really us. The people that are in our life, now they know who... We are. Now, the title of the sermon today, right, is what would God's selfie look like, right? What would that be like? So, I wanted to show you kind of an image that my daughter uh, drew when she was, I think, two. Was that around two, maybe? Three? Um, She drew this image of God. You know, we had some, some tragedy in life. Uh, you know, uh, my mother-in-law passed away. And, you know, uh, we've had... Um, so that really affected my daughter. And so she drew this, this kind of uh, this picture of, of us and our family. And then there was the sky. And then there was heaven. And above the heavens, there was this being. And I asked her, what is, who is that? What is that? And she said, that's God, Dad. And I go, wow. That's kind of crazy. So that's my daughter's kind of portrait of what God may look like when she was three. But when we think about God, his selfie, if you were to look... I can't believe I'm saying selfie and God in the same sentence. I'm sorry, God. (laughs) I don't know if that's like... Um, (laughs) But uh, if you were to to label God's self-portrait, it would actually be glorious. It would be absolutely glorious. And what would glory look like, right? Um, there's music playing in the background here. So, uh, think. Look at this for a moment. glory of competition. Glory of struggle. Glory of achievement. Get in for more. It's interesting, when you look at these images, it's hard to distinguish, except for maybe a few of them, who won, who lost, who was the ultimate victor. The glorious aspect of what you just saw was not who won, but who participated. That's the glory. That's the glorious nature of our lives. It's not so much about who won, but who decided to get into the fight. And I appreciate when Ellie was sharing and Linda was sharing her letter, it just gave me courage. Didn't you get courage when you were listening to her? Her life's, her li- the last 20 years of her life in three pages, captured. And then Ellie's rendition of the blind man, and just the courage it took for him to just say, this is my day, I have to get there. And that's really what God wants for our life. He wants us to get courage from His glory. And it's not about who's up here and who's not. It's about participating. You know, a couple years ago, uh, Scott, Eliasad, and myself, we did this suicide mission of going to Santa Barbara, and we biked in this this ride. It's a 100-mile ride in Santa Barbara on our bikes. I had never done a 100-mile ride before. And thanks to Mario, who said, you know, bro, there's a great ride in Santa Barbara. It's three months away. Cool, bro, let's do it. Oh, yeah, but I'm not going to do it, man. You know, I'm going to stay behind. He set us up. Mighty set us up to do this race. We go, and um, it's a beautiful ride in the beginning. The first 40 miles, awesome. Then we hit a mile about about this much of an incline. It was just sick. People were falling off to our left, falling off to our right. That was only the first stage. I mean, actually, it it wasn't 40 miles in. It was probably like 30 miles in. Then 10 miles later comes the good stuff, which is a seven mile category one climb. That's a seven mile average of 12 to 13 degree incline for seven miles on a bike. And I'll tell you, I have a condition where I have like a low level of, um, of ma- um, um, magnesium in my system, so I had to take supplements. I didn't know this then. I cramped hard for 60 miles, 60. It took me nine, almost 10 hours to finish. And I remember crossing the line. The guys, I mean, at some point, uh, I'd stay behind with someone else cause they were struggling. So I told Scott and Ellie, just go, man. I'm going to stay with with our, with a friend here. You guys take off. Cause they were, they were just chomping at the bit, man. They're like, like, come on, man, let's go. Right? <laughs> right. And so I said, go, man, I'll handle, I'll hang with this guy. And, um, so I, I finished without them uh, for 60 miles, I cramped. And I remember crossing the line, and I was in tears. Uh, a little later on, I did the LM Marathon, I think, later on, and still I didn't know I had this condition. I ran it with my family, uh, 26 miles. The last, uh, I started cramping at mile 14, and it didn't stop until I finished. And it was one of those cramps where my sister was there pounding my thigh trying to get that cramp out, trying to get that lactic acid moving. I didn't win that race, that's for sure, right? But to cross the line was glorious because I struggled and I overcame. And that's our Christian walk. Our life with God is about overcoming. It's not about winning. It's about really finishing the race, as the Bible really calls us to do, right? Right? But it's not about, when we look at the glory of sport, all right, so we, we, we look at glory, but let's take a moment to think about God's glory. God's glory. It's not really raining, it's just a sound effect. you your wonder, right? Um, let's talk about that. That is a big topic. That is massive. The Bible says when, uh, in the, in the um, Old Testament, uh, here in Exodus, that God's glory. This is Moses really pleading with God. Moses is going back and forth. At some point here, God said, "I've had enough of the Israelites. I'm done. I, I, you got. I'm going to go ahead. You know, kind of like Ellie and Scott did, right? They just went ahead, right, in the race. It was broke, but anyway, uh, they went ahead, and God said, "I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm I'm done with you guys." And Moses just was retorting back and forth with God, like God, please just. Show us your glory. And God said, um, "You cannot see my face." and that's for the majority of people, because we do know that Moses had an interaction with God in Mount Sinai, but you cannot see my face. God's glory is so powerful that no man can see him and live. That's God's glory. that we can't see that and still keep our life so powerful. In the Old Testament. The Hebrew word describing God's glory is kabod, which is weight, a massive weight. And what I'm going to show you right now, if you can um, get the lights one more time, I'm sorry, I'm going to have you going back and forth. Um, I'm going to show you a video. I want you to sit back. It's about a minute and 45 video. Take it in. Because as we think of God's glory and the weight and the mass of what that is, I want you to sit back and watch this video for the next almost two minutes. So, um, actually, stopped short. That's okay. It's a great shot to end that video. God's glory is a million times, probably immeasurably greater than the highest peaks. He holds the peaks in his hand. And God's glory is just massive. It's powerful. And it's just, it's not only that, but God's glory is also untouchable. Poor Uzzah, right? He kind of scrambled to catch the, no, the Ark as it almost fell to the ground. It was instinctive. It was a story of this man helping carry the Ark of the Covenant. God's essence captured in this amazing, custom-built, handcrafted Ark. And as it was falling, Uzzah rushed to kind of catch it because that's the Ark, man. I'm not going to let it touch the ground, right? And he dove to try and get it because he was just instinctive. And God struck him because no man then could be near God's glory or touch it and live. God's glory was untouchable. God's glory was also fearsome. When Moses came down and they saw his face radiant after receiving the commandments and spending time with God, the people could not even look at his face. They were were fearful of that brilliance, of that radiance. So God's essence, God's glory, was not just untouchable and and massive, but it was fearsome. God's glory is also exclusive. Here it says, I will not give my essence to another. My glory is for you, Israel. And here we sit, and I think Ellie pointed it out, today's our day, right? If we are visiting... If, you've, if we've been studying the Bible and you're trying to understand God's life uh, 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 vision for your life, think about this, right? That we have the ability to enter an exclusive club that has access to God's glory. And not just access to it, but to understand it, to figure out how it works in our life. And we're going to see that a little later. God's glory was just so massive and overwhelming that it just, man, could not deal with it. But then there's a transition that takes place. And this is the exciting part, right? There's a new self-portrait, a new selfie of God's glory. The New Testament, there's a term called doxaso, Greek, for brilliance and radiance. We see a shift. Not only do does God really, does that word really describe God's glory as being brilliant and radiant? But it also says the people who participate in it, that is glorious. The fact that we took a step out of our life, that we said no to the world, that we would face our fears and understand that we would fail, but still try to overcome, that is glorious. One of the biggest stumbling blocks of man is fear of failure. I have made so many poor decisions in my life. I think God gave me so many opportunities, and I passed them by because I was just scared. I remember um, ninth grade, high school. I was a I was a freshman. Uh, I ran track and field one year, and then I wanted to try out for the football team. My mom said, "No way," right? Um, so I went after cross country, and I won every every meet that year, every meet. Never ran cross country before. Every year, I won every meet. And that year, I came in 16th in city. And you know what I did after that freshman year? I never ran cross country again. Never. Because I was scared. Like, you know, people were talking to me and had expectations of me. And there was a lot of vision for me. And I just didn't know how to handle that. And I just walked away from it. My senior year, as as, uh, uh, I was running track and field... Um, I was a captain of the team. I was a very good half miler. And, uh, and, I, and I faked an injury. Because so, I did not, not want to run my senior year. Because I was afraid of success. I was afraid of like, what this would mean. I was afraid of actually winning and then losing at some point. Right? I mean, failure, uh, fear of failure cripples us. And I think as disciples, as Christians, we have that fear of failure. And that's why we don't talk. To people, especially dudes, right? Especially guys, like we don't call saying, bro, this happened to me, man, I need your help. We're not desperate. And then we were talking about this at last midweek, that, but we, when we get together, it just comes out, right? Like when we, when we sit around the table and we start talking, and we're talking about how to have those one another relationships, just by getting to the table, we start talking, but the minute we move away from that fellowship, from that time together, we become independent again. And it's hard for us to even talk and pick up a phone with texting and, 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 uh, and FaceTime and all this. We still can't pick up the phone. I can't. That's my, that's one of my shortcomings. And I think a lot of us men share that, right? Why? We fear talking the truth about ourselves. But God already said, I made you my own image. You are me. Stop being so afraid. I made you. And really, God's glory takes a transition, right, where size is not everything. Here we see in 2 Corinthians, that says, even though God's glory was amazing in the Old Testament, wait till the new. Wait till Jesus shows up. That glory that you saw and heard of and kind of was around, that's going to be blown away by what's next. Um, Let me show you this next clip of the transition from God's massive glory to this. What a transition, right? From God's glory being this mountainous, massive presence to now being something that not even as it says here, right? Not even a bruised reed will he break. And here, um, Matthew is really talking about um, what, a, what the prophet Isaiah said about Jesus, that we know that God sent His Son. Here. And God's presence, in essence, we're going to see, lives in Christ. So, God is, Jesus is here on earth, and His power, His incredible ability to draw on God's 10,000 angels. But He said, in Matthew, not a reed, a bruised reed will He break. God's glory transitions into something that is a lot more approachable And it's not that that it's never been that way. But God, really, when He put it inside Christ, God's glory became something else. So no matter how broken you are, no matter how broken I am during the week, God will not, no matter how bruised I am or how bruised you are, God will not break us. He won't. And I think that's what keeps people away from God is this fear that God will crush them. But God is saying, I already know you. You are bruised. I designed you to be empty, to have a a hole in your heart for a reason. I designed you so that glory was not about winning in life, but about walking with me. And here we see just God saying, I will not break you. But even then, right? we see Um, that when we look at this new thing about just us, right, this whole obsession with us and capturing our selfie and capturing us and then sharing us with everybody else and everybody else retweets us to other people, right? The Bible says that the world, all they have eyes for is this fashionable God of darkness. And this is from uh, the Message Bible. And it goes on to say the world thinks they know what they want. But at the end, it says, look, no matter what, what, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you want to do, no matter what you think of Jesus, Jesus is the best picture of God we're ever going to get. If you're talking about the selfie of God, the portrait of God, that is the portrait. He is the best picture we're ever going to get. That brilliance, that radiance. This is an image of Jesus walking and calming the storm as a shipwrecks, right? This is Jesus walking on water. And so, God is saying, this is the best picture of me you're going to get. Come to my house. Come and join my family. Be around the scriptures so you can understand me because you're not going to get it anywhere else. He is the best picture of me you're ever going to get. Stop Googling what might God look like. You already know. It's Jesus. There's There's no need to search the best picture of God we're ever going to get. Um, let me show you this. Uh, uh, actually, I didn't attach a verse to this. This is a picture of, um, of, uh, of the accounts of, uh, of Luke four twenty nine through 30. It says here, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard Jesus really challenging them. They got up drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Uh, You know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I almost feel like Jesus turned on the glory of God a little brighter that day. And people were like, Whoa, man. And he just said, Right? Right? Kind of walk right through them. I want to let you guys kind of have all your drama. Lift me up. You know, pretend you're going to put throw me over the hill. And then Jesus said, no. glory on. <laughs> Walking through, right? I mean, Jesus carried God's essence. There's another version of what we just read that says that Jesus carries God's glory in his face, which is powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, that radiance, that brilliance, right? We see it when um, Jesus came across, uh, hopefully I didn't skip the video, uh, when Jesus, and count, well, when Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, Saul was one of the biggest persecutors of the church in the first century. And he was, he was a supreme devout Jew, studied, absolutely sharp, And he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. And Jesus' brilliance just kind of like lights up the whole scene. Saul falls to his feet. And he's trying to figure out what's happening. And Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? What are you doing? And it wasn't this kind of like demanding, belittling. It's like, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you know that I am the best picture of God you're ever gonna get. That my followers are really embodying me and God, and they're really living out the life. I'm the best picture of God we're ever gonna get, you're ever gonna get. And just Saul falls to his feet, and we know from the scriptures that he develops scales over his eyes and he's blind. But that radiance and brilliance came into contact with Saul, and Saul was converted that day. Um, I'm going to move through some of this. So let me show you. Let me just kind of go through an evolution of what we talked about right now. Right? So um, God's glory is how he manifests himself. Then God's glory goes from being, it goes from being an external glory to an internal glory that is carried in Christ. Which is here. And then, this is where you and I come in. That not only does God's glory make the transition to being fearsome and unapproachable, to being something that lives in Christ, to now God saying, you are predestined to be in the likeness of my Son. So what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean? And we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We, God called us to be, to conform to Christ. Not to our selfie. Not to the duck lip, right? (laughs) April, right? You know what I'm talking about. But it's about becoming like Christ. So this is the interesting thing about all of this. That it's backwards. When we think about us, we want to think that it's what's out there, right? What we see in a reflection or behind a camera lens. What this is, but really, Satan is really asking us. He's, he's really sifting us, right? And he's, he's, um, he's setting it up so that what we see in the mirror, we believe that it's us. Satan... Is after us in a few ways. Check this out. These are reasons why the person in the mirror and the, per- and the person or, or, the, or what happens as a result of a picture can't really tell what we look like. Look at these facts. These are very interesting. Right? It's a fancy way of saying our brain is lying to us. Right? Um, look at these facts. The reason why we what we see is not really who we are. We have something called distracted perception. Distracted perception which is we modify what we see. So if you read here, we alter what we see. So if we think we're overweight, then you know what? We're going to look overweight. That's just what we're going to believe. Our brains just literally convince ourselves. There is science that says if we have a thought enough times, we create actual pathways in our brain that are grooves that repeated thought creates, so that every time anything comes close to that thought, the brain picks it up real quick and runs with it. I'm a loser. I'm overweight. I can't do this. So we say that enough, and our brain literally creates a pathway that makes it easier and easier to believe that fact. We cannot trust our head. You know what I'm saying? Um, Something else called, you see what you're scared of. Our brain protects ourselves from possible threats. So when we see something that we fear, so if we fear getting older, if we fear not having the right skills, or if we fear being single and not married, or if we get married and are afraid of having kids or not having kids, literally, our mind starts just creating this sense of fear. What else keeps us from really understanding... Uh, who we really are. Our brain focuses on objects intensely. So you know that time when you say some, you tell someone, look, I've got a scar right here. Can you see it? And you say, well, if you would have told me, I wouldn't have seen it. But our, our, our minds just kind of overfocus on some of our flaws. So things seem bigger than they really are. When you dislike a person, okay... You literally, you see a picture of someone, you just, say, you just look at all the things that you don't like about that person. You see them all, whether it's about that person or about you. You, see, you know something about yourself you don't like, when you see your image, you pick up on that. And you just start that self-hate, right, when you see those images of yourself. And then finally, your mood affects the way you see things. When you've done something great and you see your picture, you go, yeah, right? You're looking good there, man. When you mess up, you see yourself in a picture. You don't even want to look at yourself because you just see failure, you see abject failure. What does the Bible say about our selfie? All right, that's a picture of uh, our family. Uh, that is uh, literally a selfie, you know. Um, so we, this is in Big Bear Lake for spring break, and we were having a little picnic outside. So we took a picture. So what does the Bible say? About our selfie. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when we look at God's selfie, what would it look like? Honestly, look at the person to your right and to your left. That is God's selfie. Believe it or not, that is God's self-portrait. That is who God said, you want to know me? Look at your neighbor. You want to know me? Talk to your coworker. Why is sharing our faith critical, which is an area that we are trying to get back to as a church? And I was convicted this week of looking at this because we are God's representative on earth. Believe it or not, we walk, we talk, and it's like God walking and talking here. We are his selfie. We are His self-portrait. If people want to know about God, it's us. It's not the television televangelist, right? It's not the tweets of Bible devotionals that come to your phone. It's not. It's us. We are God's self-portrait. That's what the Bible says. And so at the end, I want to, I want to close with this last video. When we think about God's glory, how powerful it was, and it still is, How it moved to becoming something that dwelled in Christ. And then the Bible says, because the the church, we know, lives in us. It's not a building. We know that God's word is living and active in us. We know that God said, and Jesus said, you will do greater things than me. What does all that mean? That it's in us. It's not up to the church structure or how well we sing from the stage or how good or bad that preacher is that day, right? It's, it's really about you, about me. It's about the decisions we make. So when we come here and we sit towards the back with 20 rows in front of us, what does that say about you, about me, when we make those decisions? What does it say about us when we criticize the person who God said, that's my representative on earth. And the same thing can be said about us. All the decisions that happen about where the church goes, it's not because there's a body of people that are deciding it. We are deciding it. We are deciding what God does here to an extent. Obviously, God, the world is in His hands, and He is omniscient, and omnipresent, and He guides our life. But, And there is something called, and I think uh, um, I heard this at the retreat, um, something about adjusted will or where God has a will for our lives, but then he has to adjust because of our bad decisions, right? We can help really transform what the church is trying to do here on earth because we represent that. So God's glory lives in us. And I want to say this to close out. This last video is from the Chariots of Fire. And I want to preface it by saying it really tells us that, yes, God created us, but He also did something. He gave us amazing talents. He made us amazing. So hear what this man has to say, and we will close with this. Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. But He also made me fast. Run, his That's bad technique, by the way. You don't run with your head back.
1: But here he said, "You
0: know what? God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast." So today, as you go home, as you think about what God is doing with your life, not only did He make you for a purpose, but He made you. Awesome. Amen.